Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host Keith Berkelhammer. So on today's show, I am going to be chatting with Scott Anderson from Mile High Reefers. Hey Scott, what's up man? Hey Keith, thanks for having me on this show. This is looking like a lot of fun today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I uh, see we have some folks that are uh, finding the uh, the stream here. Algae Warrior, Warriors back, Hammy's Reef. I see Brock B., and John Reef of Vermont is back. Macy's daddy. Braveheart Reef for 525. Welcome, folks. Welcome. So, Scott, as you might have guessed, lives in Colorado by his uh, handle there, Mile High Reefers, and has a popular YouTube channel with nearly 22,000 subs. And he features his 210-gallon reef tank and a 24-gallon nano on the channel. And he also does some product reviews and provides some helpful tips and tricks. So definitely check out his channel and sub if you haven't, haven't done so already. Um, before we do start chatting with Scott, I want to thank the show's sponsor, Marine Depot. I really appreciate Marine Depot being a supporter of the show. And I also um, appreciate all the folks out there, you folks watching and tuning in. So please spread the word about the show. And uh, like I always say, we, uh, we have almost 30 people watching right now. Hit that like button so more people can find us. Smash that like button. If, uh, if you don't mind doing so and anyway so now that we've uh, taken care of that business let's uh, let's talk reef with Scott and I also encourage you folks that are that are watching to um, take advantage of the chat put some questions in the chat or, or comments however we want to make this a very uh, interactive live stream as always so Scott man talk to us about your reef keeping journey you know how did it all begin for you all right, so reef keeping journey starts um, 2006 or so. Um, you know, I'd been keeping freshwater for quite a while, decided I wanted to try doing an actual reef tank, set up my 24 gallon nano. And this is a fairly long story. So we'll, or sorry, 29 gallon nano at the old time, you know, the old school metal halide on it, hang on back filtration. You know, the old school power heads, not the new cobalt ones, but the actual old school Italian style. You know, so this is an old school nano tank and it did great for like six months. Mm. Well, you know, after that, it just sucked. <laughs> and I'm talking after the, like the, the acclimation cycle and all that, because I started with real live rock and all yeah. that. And it sucked. Mm. And it you know, so that tank was basically live rock in a clownfish for six years. Wow. Every piece of coral I put in died. Oof. Like, it did not matter what I did. It died. So, um, you know, I gave up on the tank. I kept my clownfish, who I still have. So my first fish is still upstairs in my 210-gallon reef, which is pretty oh, cool. That's very cool. But, you know... You know, then YouTube came along and I started, you know, watching people like New York Stilo and L.A. Fish guys and all those um, guys. And it's like, OK, I can do this. <laughs> and I ended up buying my old 90 gallon system that was featured on the channel the first couple of years. And in that came an old school hydrometer. Well, I just stuck it over in my 29 gallon tank and it came out at like 1.03. So instead of being at 0.26, I was shooting for, I was at 0.03, right? So, I mean, we're quite a bit higher than really the high end of what you'd look for in a reef tank anyways. That's what killed 
all my coral for years. Wow. So, you know, I learned the hard way how to keep a reef tank. Well, after doing that, like I was off to the races. I was all about YouTube, learning which corals I could keep, how to keep them and all that. And that's what this channel was built off of was like six years of me failing to keep a reef because of a bad piece of equipment. And really my game changer at the time was YouTube because before that this information wasn't really available. And so as I started doing it, I just started vlogging what I was doing and that kind of just blew up into what mile high reefers is today. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, kind of a similar thing in terms of what what I'm doing. You're just kind of talking about your journey in reef keeping and talking about the highs and the lows and and um, you know how you like to keep a tank. So it's a uh, it's a whole different day and age. You know, I've talked about this before in this show in terms of how there's a lot of um, different information out there and social media has really you know increased the amount of choices that we have. And you know, when I first started in this hobby, it was more about um, you know, reading the uh, the Fama magazines and and the books by uh, Julian and and Charles Delbeek and getting that kind of education and and going to frag swaps and talking to fellow reefers. But now social media is just so prevalent that uh, you know there's a lot of information out there. Now you've got the uh, well, not not now, but reef keeping boards, you know, the forums and all that stuff. Oh yeah. How how um how were you able to kind of like filter out the uh, the good versus the bad information when you were trying to figure this stuff all out? So I mean, a lot of it's going to be trial and error. I hate to say it, and there's probably stuff I still do today that we're going to find out is bad information. But I mean, some of it's tried and true, right? I mean, and I I like to learn from people. I like the way they keeps it keep their tanks, right? So I mean. Jake with Reef Builders has always been somebody I've followed. I like the way he keeps his tanks. I like his results. The dude's super smart. So I've always kind of followed Reef Builders stuff. You know, you learn a lot from that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you you hear about people talking about mir- miracle cures for ick and stuff like that. And, you know, that's where I start getting real sketchy. You know, anytime somebody's making a big claim, I want to see some big proof to yeah. back it up. If they, if they don't have that for their big claims, I'm usually pretty skeptical of it. Yeah, right. No, there's a lot of folks on the boards that just seem to make the most noise about certain things and just have the, mo- the strongest opinions. But when, it, when, when it's all said and done, are, are you really able to kind of like back it up in terms of seeing the pictures and the videos of that person's setup? Uh, a lot of times the answer is no. But, um, you know, yeah, you just have to kind of be really good at deciphering what's the, uh, the good information and the bad information and, and kind of look for a consensus, too. Uh, you know, I, um, I, I, you know, like yourself, I do try to follow people in terms of what they're doing that have had success. Like you, you mentioned, um, you know, Jake at Reef Builders. <clears throat> so you, you've done some kind of cross uh, pollination there in terms of you appearing on his channel and him appearing on, on your channel. How did you guys connect? I mean, you're obviously both in Colorado. Yeah, so Jake's up north, which is pretty cool. Um, um, honestly, I knew who Jake was. I mean, you can't live in this area and be in the reef hobby and not know him. So I was pretty stoked one day. I got a message um, just on Facebook from Jake saying, hey, I'm in Colorado. We should hang out sometime. <laughs> 
So, I mean, it was pretty cool for a guy like Jake to reach out. It's like, heck yeah. So, I mean, Jake's a really cool guy. He's always been a fantastic influence on me. He's, you know, one of the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. He, um, very knowledgeable guy. And we're actually going to have, um, I had him on the show um, a few months ago, and we're going to have him back on uh, next week with Chris Meckley from ACI Aquaculture. That should be an epic show. <laughs> oh, that should be great. Yeah. So talk talk to us about the uh, the reef keeping scene in, in Colorado. How um, How is it there? So reef keeping scene in Colorado is pretty awesome. So um, we are kind of in the middle of the state, right? So we're right in the middle of, or sorry, right in the middle of the country. Um, a lot of the stuff around us is kind of farm area, but we have this nice little oasis on what they call the front range, which is basically Fort Collins down through Colorado Springs, where it's a pretty big population. We got a ton of reef keepers. We got fantastic stores. We got a fantastic community out here. Um, and then, of course, we were lucky enough to have reef stock start out here. So like every year we've had this big solid show to help build the community. I mean, it's just been like amazing every step of the way. I mean, I couldn't do too much better for a reef keeping scene unless I was like, you know, near LAX where I could actually see the corals <laughs> as soon as they hit. Yeah. You know, so how, before COVID, how, how, um, you know, was the, uh, was there a lot of, uh, do you guys have like a club nearby? Is there a lot of, um, you know, visiting other folks' tanks? Is it, is it kind of like um, a well close knit group that you're a part of there in terms of face to face stuff? I mean, I've got my, I've got my own friends and stuff like that. We do have our local clubs. I personally don't get crazy into that. Um, I am so much more the online kind of guy coming out. I mean, like one of the big things I want to start doing is actually going out and filming people's tanks. Like that's what I love to do is actually just finding people's tanks and going and filming them and seeing coral. So you um, you've done some of that, right? I think I've seen some of the videos in your channel. We've done yeah. who um, who's got some epic tanks uh, in, nearby in the state there to you that um, worth mentioning. So, I mean, there's quite a few amazing tanks around. Um, obviously, everything Jake has is pretty stellar. Personal reef tanks, like Chad Wooler's tank, um, he's one of the owners of Aquarium Supply Distribution, formerly Aquamedic USA. Um, his personal tank is just one of the best I've ever seen. The guy is a master reef keeper. He does amazing work. And, you know, he had years of access to just some of the coolest corals around. And he just built that into something incredible. Yeah. You know, uh, we were talking before the show in in, um, in Vermont here. It's not a, um, a tight uh, reef keeping community. I know uh, John Reef from Vermont is uh, north of me, and I think he's watching. I saw him earlier in the chat. But, uh, you know, I used to be in the New York um, area, New York City area. <clears throat> And so that that was a pretty good community in terms of, uh, you know, there's always like I was part of the Manhattan Reefs um, scene there. So they had a couple of frag swaps every year. But obviously there haven't been any frag swaps uh, in the past uh, year or so because of the COVID thing. But 
I'm closer to Boston, and, and there's some great reef keepers uh, in Boston, and even some um, some folks in in New Hampshire. So for me, yeah, I have to really lean heavily on the online stuff, and I, I enjoy it. You know, I mean, I connect with the folks, you know, like you and others uh, that are tuning in here through this uh, throw a show and my channel. So I have a lot of fun doing that. I'm going to be out at the um, Reef of Palooza in, in New York coming up in a uh, in a couple of weeks. So hopefully, can Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. So have, have you been going to the reef uh, stocks when before uh, the COVID? I guess after uh, soon, uh, they'll hopefully be having them in person again, right? Yeah, absolutely. I pretty much try to hit reef stock every year. I've gone to MACNA before and a few other shows. Um, you know, it's one of the big things I want to be able to do is get to the point in my life where I can travel and hit a lot more of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how long have you been in uh, Colorado? Has it been... Uh, close to 10 years born and raised oh really so yeah i i'm 39 so 39 years here now i thought i um i saw something one of your videos where you actually had to you you maybe you moved out of colorado and you moved back and you had to move a um, 180 gallon reef tank to colorado or am i completely spacing out here and confusing you with something i else? think you're I think maybe you're spacing. I don't know. I've never been out of Colorado. So, so hold that. Have you ever moved a reef I'm not tank? Sure. I have moved quite a few reefs. All right. Tanks, so let's talk so, about yeah. that. Let's talk about your experience moving large uh, reef tanks. And, and uh, have you had any success doing that with the critters in the tank? Oh, never with them in. I mean, you take them out. Well, That's I mean, in terms of it. being able to transfer the, uh, the livestock, however you do it, in terms of whether you use, um, you know, five-gallon buckets or boot uh, containers but um yeah i mean it's a tricky thing to move a tank so to speak in terms of you know you got to empty the contents out and then you gotta you gotta get um you know all the corals and the fish um you know acclimated in their temporary homes and then you gotta actually do the transporting and then set up the tank again i mean that's i've done that a couple of times man it's not fun no i mean there's there is no easy way to do it and i mean i run a tank like an ecosystem right so, I mean, we're trying, we're shooting for stability. We want these tanks as stable as possible. We want the animals in kind of the same environment every day they're used to. And by moving the tank, we are providing it none of that. So the tank's gonna, once you, as soon as you start tearing it down, you're moving the rock structure, you're changing the flow and you're never getting that stuff back to right. where it was. Right. I mean, you'll, I mean, just trying to take a rock out just to catch something or move something and putting it back in, yeah. just trying to get it back yeah. in the same position is For, almost impossible. It. Yeah, forget about it. Right, and I mean, depending on what you got for bracing in your tank or anything, like a small movement either way, and the coral changes color on you. The problem is, is as soon as you're moving a tank, you're doing this to every animal in the tank, plus you're breaking it, plus you're stressing it. I mean, the reality is, is after a tank move, you're looking at some stress. You're probably looking at some algae outbreaks. You're looking at big water changes. Like there's a lot that you have to do just to kind of keep it looking somewhat happy. Yeah, I did it one time where I uh, moved from New York City to Westchester because we had my wife and I just bought a house. And I had I think it was like a 90 gallon reef tank in the apartment building that um, I tried to move. I moved it, but I, I don't recall in terms of uh, how much actually made it in terms of the uh, the organisms that, that live. 
But from that point on, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to try that again. I'm just going to break down the tank that whatever, you know, whenever I need to do that kind of move, just break it down, sell off the livestock and, and the equipment and just not deal with that. Um, it, it's a big hassle. But obviously, if you have some cherished livestock and, and some some critters in that tank and, and that are hard to come by, like even like live rock. Uh, you know, I, I would have to kind of think seriously today if uh, I moved. I want to hold on to my live rock because I don't like. Oh, I don't absolutely. Like the dry rock thing. I know there's folks out there, and I see Greg Carroll's on the live stream. I, we always have this back and forth uh, about live rock versus dry rock. I, I just, um, I'm, you know, it's it's tough for me. I know it can be done, but you know, I would just want to kind of probably hold on to the live rock. I actually have some some rock that's sitting in a Rubbermaid. For the last, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 months in my uh, basement here. And I just have it in a Rubbermaid. I have a, um, there's not even a heater in there. I've just got a recirculating pump. And every once in a while, I put some, um, you know, RODI water in there to top it off. But I don't really do any water changes. And there's still Aptasia that's living on that rock. I don't know how it, how it does it. Yeah. So. No, it's crazy how long Aptasia will live without light. It's insane. Yeah. All right, man. So let's let's talk about your um, your 210 gallon tank. And so I'm going to um, start playing some some video of your tank. And there's going to be a um, a lag in term in terms of when we get it um, coming through the feed onto YouTube. But uh, yeah, when you see it, Scott, why don't you just kind of talk to us? Uh, just maybe start off in general about the uh, the tank and and what's in there, and and talk about livestock. And then we'll talk about equipment after the video. Sure. So tank is 210 gallons. It's got a old school wall look to it. And I did that 100% on purpose because mm -hmm. that's how I can pack as many coral in as mm -hmm. possible. This is a pretty updated video you had on of it. And, you know, I've got big leathers, which I personally love, you know, big beautiful coral that move in the current. They're dynamic. Like every day they look different. They're really cool. Um, you know, and then this tank, as we're looking at it, it's dealing with some algae and stuff in here. Um, you know, one thing I try to pride myself on my channel is I keep it real. I crashed this tank for stupid reasons. I didn't, I just left a water valve on when I was topping off. Um, and that's what you see the algae for. But you know, I'm in this weird position now where I have zero nitrates, zero phosphate shown on my test mm. kit, but I still have tons of algae in the tank. Yeah. So, I mean, we're in this weird position where I'm dealing with all of that. But the coral is looking really great. The coral's healthy. Yeah. The coral's happy. But I have all of this just terrible algae on the tank. And that kind of, that kind of ruins it. But at the same time, like... Um, this tank is like nine years worth of work mm. for me. Like there, my 90 gallon sat there originally and then my two tens there now. And I treat this tank like an ecosystem. So I've got my nitrates under control. I got my phosphates under control. It's just a matter of time before that algae goes away. You know, but there's nothing I can really do other than water changes and suck algae out right now to speed this process up. Yeah, what do you got going on there? I, I think I, I thought I saw some cyano in there. Is that one of the uh, things you're dealing with? Uh, there might be a tiny bit. I've been um, doing a, more of the, 
um, hydrospaces, non-purple sulfur bacteria. Okay. And um, that has made a huge difference on cyano in this tank. Huh. So, you know, this tank, it's weird for me to say. It's like my dream tank, even though there's like some major problems with it, like algae. Yeah. But, I mean, the coral are healthy. The algae is going to go away. I've fixed the root cause with the top-up issue, so it's not going to happen again. So we're not going to put six gallons or whatever it was <laughs> of fresh water to this tank again. So, I mean, those kind of problems are fixed, and now it's just letting it grow. Yeah. And then when I had those problems, I ended up gutting the center top SPS section because it was just a really good time to do it. I had a huge money colony that mainly died off. Bummer. So I figured, well, you know, it's time to do it. Well, it's a bummer from the fact that I lost some coral and stuff. But, you know, I, I hate looking at loss as just straight loss. First, I mean, I lost a lot of Monipora, but I didn't lose all of it. So I still have that strain. I still have pieces from it. I can grow it back. No big yep. deal. And then also, now I have all this room for new coral. And I love buying coral. <laughs> so that works out pretty good, too. I like how you pick the bright side of things and not, not the glass half, half empty, that half full, right? Well, oh, it is so easy to look at this tank and just get fixated on the algae. But the algae is a temporary thing right now. It will go away. Like I said, nit nitrates, undetectable. Phosphates, undetectable. Not necessarily what I'm shooting for. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see a little bit of those in there. But, I mean, it's in there. I've got growing algae. I'm feeding the coral heavily to kind of help make up for some of that. It's in there. What do you, what do you think? You're, the coral are healthy. What do you think you're getting the zero reading? Do you think the algae is just sucking up the uh, nitrates and the phosphates? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's getting sucked up as fast as I'm adding it. Plus, I mean, those huge leathers are yeah, sucking it yeah. up. But, yeah. I mean, but what happened is, is I had, a I had a nitrate spike because of all the die-off from when the coral started to recede and all that. And we're just, we're seeing the feedback loop in that system. So it takes months for something like this to work through your tank. Like, short of, short of magic pills, it Something like this just takes months to go through a system. So do you um, and and that's so why I was gonna say, do you um at all try the uh, the quick fixes? Like if you had the cyano, would you use ChemiClean, or if you had um, you know, would you try like fluconazole or something like that for uh, bryopsis? I I have so fluconazole for bryopsis, I think is great. ChemiClean, I use I use it sparingly. I mean, it's an antibacterial. I feel like bacteria is one of those things, if anything, we should be farming in our yeah, tanks these days, not trying to kill. But, you know, ever since ever when I, I carbon dose this tank, I use bio pellets and stuff like that. And ever since I've done that, I get more outbreaks of cyano than I would like to see. And it's just this tank. Every other tank I've run doesn't have this problem. And this is the only one I carbon dose. Hmm. So. You know, I'm putting those two together. But since I've started using that non-purple sulfur bacteria, I've been seeing a lot less of it. So I think if I was to try, if I was to see cyano pop up, I'd probably go get a bottle of that purple non-sulfur bacteria before I tried some ChemiClean and see if that wouldn't wipe it out. So talk to us, talk but, to us about the bacteria because I had uh, Mike Paletta on 
you know, last uh, week on the show. And, and, and I also, uh, we chatted once before too. And he, you know, both times he talked about dosing bacteria and, and microbacter, you know, the Brightwell's microbacter um, seven. And, uh, you know, so he, he's been dosing that. You're talking about dosing the, uh, the non-purple uh, sulfur uh, bacteria. What, what's the theory in terms of what, what's your thinking behind dosing the bacteria? Is, is that essentially a, um, a proactive way and also a way to kind of remedy the, uh, the, the different algaes in the tank to um, propagate that, you know, um, positive um, bacteria population? Yeah, and that's a big part of it. So the purple non-sulfur bacteria we know should be in our reefs at pretty high levels. But what level it is actually in our reef, like without sending out for tests and stuff, we don't have a very good way to gauge that. So as far as dosing bacteria to this tank, I'm not afraid to shotgun it and throw some microbacter in there or whatever they have available at the store, right? I'm not afraid to try that kind of stuff. But hydrospaces stuff is a little bit different than what I have anything else in that, you know, it supposedly it's going to denitrify it'll live in the sand bed but can somehow swim around and handle the oxygenated areas too but the coral absolutely love to eat it hmm. so i almost um i see all of the benefits from the bacteria side of it and i think the purple non-sulfur bacteria um does really well with that but then when I put that on top of it, that I can feed it to my tank, now we're really into something. So I dosed this tank with a full bottle of it as soon as I got it. And that's um when I, and I got that bottle just about the same time I crashed this tank. Hmm. And, um, you know, my crash was so minor other than this algae, you see, yep. I was blown away Con compared to, you know, how big bad things looked how bad things were how much things stripped like the coral rebounded so well that i thought well maybe this purple non-silver bacteria has something to it um i also put it in my 24 gallon nano and you know in that one i was struggling with dino well yeah. and you know of course of course i crashed it because you know it's been that kind of year for me <laughs> i had a heater fail on it right nice. so heater failed on in there but you know i had been battling that dyno for like two years and it's not the good stuff that i can get rid of with uh uv uv sterilizer yeah. it's the have, stuff that, that colonizes stuff. Yeah. the bottom yeah yeah it's the stuff that colonizes the bottom and it's a pain to get rid of and it's ridiculous and i've been battling it for two years mainly through water changes and stuff like that as soon as I start dosing the purple non-sulfur bacteria, it's gone away. Well, wow. It's taken months. I'm not going to lie that this has been a slow process. I think I started dosing it in like March, and here we are mid-June. So it's taken three months, but now I have very little of it. So my understanding is so when you're dosing... Just... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I'm just feeding it right now with my food. I'm putting the Benefits Pets in there, which got its probiotics. They put their own bacteria in the food anyways. And then I'm just mixing that in with my frozen to melt, um, to just mix it all together when I melt my frozen for my fish food. 
doesn't seem to hurt the fish. So it's getting a small dose of that every day. And the corals seem to love it. They really open up and get big and fat and happy. Um, I can't say anything definitively about like this product will do this for you. But considering all the stupid stuff I've done to my tank and how good it's actually made it through, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> uh, just thanks to uh, John Ray from Vermont for the super chat. He says, uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he says he's at UVM having my third surgery this month. This stream is therapeutic for me. I'm going to be fine, but just a difficult month. Hey, John, uh, you know, positive thoughts on this end. Hopefully everything will be fine and uh, good luck. But Thanks for tuning in, man, and thanks for that super chat. So, um, Scott, a couple of comments here in the uh, in the chat about the uh, the bacteria. One one comment was from uh, Algae Warrior. Does he use it in conjunction with the yellow snow? I don't know what yellow snow is, but uh, perhaps mm. you do. So, yellow snow is a pretty cool product. Basically, it's the purple non-sulfur bacteria um, mixed with. And I don't know exactly what it's mixed with, but it's some sort of hard material that's like mimicking marine snow. And then it's pasteurized. But basically what he's trying to do is mimic that marine snow to provide a packet to feed the food to. And absolutely, I'll dump some of that yellow snow in there. Um, I'm really feeding more different types of food to my tank these days. Like I'm mixing everything together and just letting them filter through whatever they want. Does that include, uh, Blue Reef is asking, does Scott, um, you know, use the amino acids? Is that part of the equation there for you in terms of the feeding the corals? It is. I'm, I am so bad about amino acids. I need to get a dosing pump set up and actually get those on there. I think they add a lot to the tank, but, um, yeah, I've got a little bottle of amino. Um, I think I'm using like a Zeovit type or something, but it's a nice heavily concentrated one. So, I mean, I add it to it. Um, I have I have a kind of a feeling that when it comes to feeding our fish and coral, these are very diverse animals that a lot of different sizes of food and a lot of diversity is good for us there. Because each coral is going to want something a little different. They're from different environments. Yeah, you know, I've never been big in terms of, um, you know, amino acids or coral foods or, or anything. I've used uh, Reef Nutrition, you know, their uh, Oyster Feast and, and Rhodi Feast. I've dabbled with aminos. I've dabbled with Reef Roids and some other stuff. I always seem to get cyano when when I start with amino acids, so I've always had to kind of pull pull back on that, you know, and that's kind of like what, sure. uh, what started my dino outbreak in my 225 gallon, you know, peninsula tank, my, my nitrates and my phosphates, you know, the tank seven months old bottomed out. So that they zeroed out and I was like, all right, I'm instead of like dosing nitrates and phosphates, I'm going to feed a lot more, um, fish food and I'm going to start dosing aminos and just kind of like try to dirty up the tank. Well, lo and behold, all of a sudden Dino's pop up and I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. But, um, not right. on wood. It's been about two and a half weeks, maybe close to three weeks. Where I, I I put a UV sterilizer on the tank, and I and I also started dosing nitrates and phosphates. And so far, they have not, um, you know, made a return back, which is just awesome. Because, like you said earlier, you know, if I had those that um, were not um, prone to be in the water column, it would be a much tougher, tougher battle, for sure. Oh, that battle is brutal. Yep. Um, but go ahead. You were going to say something. 
Oh, well, you were just um, bringing up the points on the type of food and stuff. And I did watch your Paletta video last week, and it was pretty great. Um, honestly, I think that for the future of high-end reefs, we're going to see a lot more live food start making their way into our tanks. So, you know, like, um, the bacteria is alive. That's a live food that we can feed our animals. So we put it in our tank, and it helps with nitrification, denitrification, all of that. But it's also a coral food that's not breaking down into nitrates or phosphates that we don't want. Um, you know, and if we would do the same thing, you know, we can start culturing our own phytoplankton, rotifers, all that kind of stuff. I honestly think live foods are going to be a big part of like the future of feeding reefs because they're alive. It's going to take that much longer for them to become a waste product in our tank and help give us some of that stability we've always been shooting for. So do you um, do you have a lot of pods in your tank? I um, I have a lot of pods in my tank and and um, I got them from a, um, from a fellow reefer. I, I got some frags from and um I was restarting some Cato, and so I was asking about uh, you know if he could throw some Cato in, and, and he also said he had some pods that would um, he would you know that are, are just infested in that Cato, and, and they're you know they're good good pods, and they're algae eating pods apparently. I guess they, they don't eat the Cato, they eat the uh, the bad stuff. So yeah, I've got like a ton of um, pods in my system, my established system. Do you have a uh, good pod uh, population? And, and if so, do you think that's uh, also a key ingredient to the uh, success of the tank? Yeah, I think pods are a pretty big deal. I've got quite a few of them in the sump section of my tank. Frag section right now doesn't have any fish in it, so it gets a lot of pods. Upstairs, I've got more wrasses and stuff, so we end up with less pods. 24-gallon nano, piled full of pods. It loves it. Um, you know, I always kind of beat on this ecosystem part of things, and I feel like our pods are kind of the bottom of our ecosystem. Yeah. I, I honestly feel like the more, the better there. Like, if you have a lot of pods, you have a healthy system, and those pods are only going to help your tank be healthier. I see no downside to pods. Yeah, and and uh, the bacteria dosing is is intriguing to me too because I got a lot of advice when I had the uh, the dino outbreak on my tank that um, I should be dosing Microbacter, um, you know, seven to um, to help um, you know up the competition, I guess, in terms of having more uh, bacteria like that in the uh, in the tank. But a a reef keeping buddy actually talked me into dosing the Brightwell um, Brightwell's clean Microbacter clean. I don't know if you're familiar with that um, product. Sure. So, you know, that's something I just started. I got a big jug got of that. a big jug of clean. Have, have you had good positive experience with it or have you not tried it yet? I haven't actually you haven't used, used it yet. I need to, I was going to ask you how your success well, was. Well, I just started it last week. This is a, a product that may be the same thing as with, with the bacteria that you're dosing right now. But um, it's probably going to take two or three months before you actually see results with the, uh, with the Microbacter uh, clean product. And so it's, it's essentially something that can be dosed once a week, you know, like a maintenance dose. I think if you have um, some real nasty stuff in your tank, then you probably want to go with a more aggressive uh, dosage for that stuff. 
Yeah, if anybody out there has used the uh, Microbacter Clean, I would love to, uh, you know, hear about your experience. But I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed because I've had some, like some persistent cyano in my established tank, and some other uh, allergies that have popped up here and there in the, uh, in, in, you know, the frag tank every now and then. One of the frag tanks. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because I know when you're dosing bacteria that they're gonna you know they're gonna consume some nitrates and some phosphates i guess it depends on how much depending on the bacteria that you're dosing so i'm actually taking my cato offline to um for the dosing to see how hmm. that uh, that goes and and uh, it's interesting i mean i would love to not have to rely on cato and just dose the uh, the bacteria but i've never been down that road so it's it's going to be an interesting journey i you know I don't think um I don't I mean this bacteria stuff is so new I don't know if um many of anybody's really been down that road I'm um, I'm kind of seeing that as potentially the future of feeding and managing our race but maybe I'm wrong yeah it does look like the direction I mean, we're years going. and years ago man I had no freaking that wasn't even nearly you know on, on anybody's radar in terms of bacteria dosing and and. And also all this uh, other stuff, right. the supplements and the coral foods, and and you know dosing the uh, you know the uh, out of the manganese. I mean, there's just so many things. There's so many different ways. You've got the uh, you know when I was talking with Mike, he, he was talking about the uh, the moonshiners method in terms of you know trying like yeah. in, in in terms of you know essentially I think having a calculator and putting in some uh, data and then it spitting out and telling you what you need to be dosing. I don't know. It blows my mind. I, you know, back in the day, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, I was, I was keeping pretty healthy, uh, reef tanks. I wasn't doing that stuff, but I think, yeah. Well, our, our expectations have changed. Yeah. And I think the, well, the equipment has gotten a lot better. I too. mean, what we think of as a good reef today is, I mean, the reality is, is once you've grown your tank to a certain point, you just want it better. Like at one point in time, success for me was keeping a coral alive. Yeah. <laughs> like that was my definition of a success when I set that 90 gallon up. Yes, I have a coral and it's alive and I love it. Yeah. Now I have a big, beautiful, amazing reef, and it almost feels like a failure because I've got some algae from some stupid stuff that I fixed. It's just amazing how far we come in our journeys in life. I'm just looking at some of the uh, the chat uh, questions. So I got I got a oh yeah, sure yeah got a question about lighting my lighting. Um, well, let's talk about your lighting. You know, on the uh, on the two ten. So you've got you run halides, right? I do. They are currently shut off. Um, we are getting into the hot part of June, and this year I am not having an AC. Um, so we are leaving halides off for the summer really? period. Wow, that's interesting. I've never heard of anybody doing that in terms of having them on seasonally. But yeah, they, they, they can crank out some heat. Well, so right now they're more supplemental. I've got like five castles up there, four tubes of T5. So there's plenty of light, but there's just something about the look of the old halides. They're super bright. The spreads just got this look to it that it's hard to get with the LEDs. And then it's 
just something with some magic between the spectrum, the par, and the way the corals seem to react to it that I personally have not been able to replicate with LEDs. So I absolutely love LEDs. They do amazing. And I run LEDs. But to just have some halides come on for like four hours a day, so I still get that look, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. And I've got like a 20-year supply of halide bulbs <laughs> what, now. What's your bulb of choice? Um, I've got old-school Aquamedic oh, bulbs. Oh, wow. Okay. I, um, I'm a fan of the... Uh... They are una- they are unobtainable. I'm not even sure they're the best bulbs out there, but I've got I've probably got like 40 bulbs. Oh, you're good out. for a long time. I'm set. I've got a lifetime <laughs> supply. I love um, 400 watt 20k radium bulbs. That's my metal halide bulb of choice. And um, oh man, those are I got two rocking on my 187 gallon display, and I've got uh, four rocking on my two frag tanks. And, uh, yeah, you know, heat is an issue with me, you know, when, with all those uh, lights going on, even in Vermont, my tanks are in the basement. So what I have to do in the summertime is I have to, um, put the light cycle of the two frag tanks. Uh, I got to back them uh, earlier in the day. So I, sta- I, now I have to stagger the lights. And, uh, so those tank lights go on at 10 o'clock in the morning and they're off by like six o'clock at, uh, 10 o'clock, 6 o'clock at night, and the other lights are, uh, the halides are on from like 1 to uh, to 9 p.m. So that, that kind of does a trick. I uh, I was talking about this last week, but I, I did a bad job in terms of setting up the chiller on that tank, and so the exhaust of that chiller goes right into the frag tank room, and it just makes it makes it worse, actually. It oh, no. It heats everything up. It's really bad. Oh, so, no. So, um... The sloth monster is uh, was wondering me, uh, asking me my my opinion in terms of um, I've got so over my new 220 gallon peninsula I've got the GHL Mitras, you know those LEDs, and uh, that was my yeah. uh, my first foray into LED uh, lighting. You know I've just been totally um, devoted and and loyal to the uh, metal halide T5 combination. And it's only been like a couple of months since I've had corals in there, and I, I did have that dino out, outbreak, which um, well, I lost a couple of frags due to that. But I gotta say, right now, I am uh, I am digging those lights. I really um, I am di- I'm starting to kind of see some encrustation, some nice coloration. It's still very young reef tank, but yeah, in, in terms of my opinions on the GHL Mitras, I um, so far so good. I mean, I've got six of them over my. Uh, my 225 gallon peninsula, which is six foot long by, by three foot wide. So I've got two rows of three, uh, LEDs over the, um, over the tank, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it was kind of strange. And I, what I did was I, uh, I replicated the spectrum for, um, there's another, uh, fellow YouTuber out there, Jim, uh, telegram. Do you know, uh, telegram? I don't know if you know him on YouTube and Instagram. He, um, he's, he's a, um, he's a Mitra's user as well and and um is uh, into the ghl uh, products so he he did me a big solid he actually replicated a uh, a spectrum that mimics the uh the 400 watt 20k radium bulbs and the 250 oh, nice. yeah and the 250 watt 20k um uh, hamilton bulbs and radium bulbs so i've got this spectrum that mimics the halide spectrum that i love to use so in, in terms of the look it's not too blue for me which is nice it's a little bluer than what i'm used to but I've got, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digging it. You know, it's, it's nice. 
Well, it's it's funny now what we consider blue because I put a twenty k metal halide on, and you know people who are used to LEDs think it's white light. It's insane how much it's changed. Yeah. So Brock B, I don't know, man. I don't. I didn't really go off on in terms of how much I love the halides. I mean, I do love the halides, but I'm starting to dig my uh, my LEDs. So it's. Uh, I guess you can teach an old dog new tricks. I will say it's still very young in in the uh, in the lifespan. So. Scott, let's uh, let's talk more in terms of the uh, the equipment. You, you talked about some of the other stuff that you uh, yeah. doing with your tank. What what are you uh, leaning on right now in terms of so for biological and mechanical and chemical filtration? You're you're uh, obviously you have the live rock in the tank. Is there, there's a sand bin in there yep. too, right? Yep, we got old school sand bed. It's really just there for looks. I like the serpent stars and all the stuff that just lives in there, the Nasserus snails and all that. So the wrasses bury themselves in it. So sand is more aesthetic than anything for me. But yeah, it's giving us some bacterial stuff. Um, you know, and then obviously mechanical, I got a huge protein skimmer. So I've got an old Aquacy EV1000 injection oh, style wow. fed off my main return. Um, you know... The old injection style skimmers are great, especially for bigger systems. I'm about 450 total once you figure in frag tanks and everything. And this thing just won't break. It'll last me forever. So, you know, it works good. It's off my main pump. And, you know, that's pretty much what I like there. It's about as old school as you get, but it works great. Those, there's, you're talking about the tall ones, right? They're like super tall. Yeah. yeah. I used to, yeah, it's pretty tall. I used yeah. to have one that was... They made a 2000 that was even taller. I had but... one that was 50 inches tall in my old tank. Oh, wow. <laughs> of course. But, I mean, as long as, you, as long as you can feed water to it, it'll work. Yeah, you know, it was in Connecticut. I used to live in Connecticut um, a number of years ago, and I had uh, essentially went had the, the uh, display tank in the living room, and then I went through the floor down into the unfinished basement. <clears throat> so I had this giant unfinished yeah. basement that I just was able to like go crazy and have all my equipment. So it didn't matter. I had a 50 inch tall skimmer. I didn't care. Nobody saw it upstairs. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. So that's that. Do you have a, uh, a remote sump as well or, or, um, something? Yeah. So remote sump, um, frag tanks, everything's in the basement. So basically you can think of, I got two racks of frag tanks and then, um, basically a sump, the two bottom tanks are like rubber-made sheep um, containers. I mean, seriously, like what you'd buy at a farm store to put water in for a sheep. Yeah. And then um, the top yep. ones are actual glass frag tanks, and they're they're pretty cool. Um, but you know, so everything stays down in the basement, and then the water is pumped upstairs for the main display. This is actually helping me out a lot right now because in the basement it's nice and yeah. cool. So I'm not having as much heating issues as I could. I, I might even be able to get away with running my halides if I wanted to, but I, you know, I don't think I mentioned it here. I just had surgery though, and the last thing I wanted to do was after getting cut was to climb up into my cabinet and try to turn some <laughs> halides off and stuff. So, uh, you know, those are off for a little while, and I'm probably just gonna run them seasonally, like we were talking about. But you know, I'm pretty old school in how i run things with a few differences like i 
for a big tank, I'm a big believer in a calcium reactor. It just seems like the easiest, most efficient way to get enough calcium alkalinity into the system. But they really are a pain to tune and get right and keep your levels where you want it. But they do really seem to be the best method. Yeah, I um, I just so, recently, you know, I've, I've done both. You know, I've had great success doing both. And then, um, so my 187-gallon tank, which is really, you know, with the two frag tanks plumbed in, it's about 300 gallons overall in terms of corals and that are packed in those tanks. I was using, um, you know, I was doing ESV two-part, and I was doing nearly 300 mLs per day of each two-part. And I was like, man, I got to switch off of this. I got to get off of this. It's killing me. It's so expensive. And then finally I... Um, I did oh, yeah. switch to the um, calcium reactor and, and um, yeah, it, it definitely was uh, difficult in terms of getting it uh, tuned in. But once I got this thing, you know, dialed in, it's, it's been great. So it's, it's, yeah, I agree. I think a calcium reactor, if you've got a large system with a lot of corals in it, it's going to be much more economical and much more efficient than, um, than two part. But, you know, listen, two part has got some great advantages too. It's, it's, um, it helps to keep the, uh, the pH elevated, um, versus a calcium reactor where you're injecting the, uh, the CO2. Now, what, what do you like to keep your, uh, your pH at with the, uh, with the calcium reactor? Has that been an issue with you in terms of having the pH elevated? So calcium reactor pH, I'm about six and a half. I use the carbon doser on my calcium reactor. Um, that thing is a lifesaver. It's like an electronic valve that'll dose the carbon dioxide directly, and you got a dial you can change. It is so much better than like the best of the old school pressure regulators. Mm -hmm. Having that electronic valve do it has just been a lifesaver for me. They're expensive. They're like three hundred and some bucks, but it was money well spent. So you've got your um, you've got your set point at 6.5 in terms of the uh, the pH what's your system pH running at with that uh, calcium reactor Ah uh, you know I almost never check it it's right around okay. 8 Yeah do do you also um dose uh, cockwasser No I'm not dosing cockwasser it's one of those things that so one of the big goals for this year, unfortunately, things got set behind by that surgery, was to upgrade the calcium reactor, do the calcster, all that. But, you know, all of that just got pushed back. And it just kind of is what it is. Yeah. So, you know, those were the goals for this year. I need a bigger calcium reactor. I need all this stuff. But, you know, what I have is more than serviceable for the time being. Yeah, obviously, your animals seem to be pretty happy, especially when the – what, you've had two – crashes in the past year in that tech I, well so i because i was an idiot i did them um, pretty close together <laughs> right i left a valve on dumped a bunch of water to my tank and then like a month later did the same thing oh wow so you, you know i at least i was smart enough to fix the problem <laughs> <laughs> hey yeah you caught it right but um you know so that problem's fixed. It just it's going to take forever for the tank to get back to where I want it. And I'm personally okay with that because I treat it like an ecosystem. For me, it's about sending the whole tank in the right direction. The coral are looking good, the fish are looking good. I've just got some minor algae issue. Now I'm noticing the algae starting to go away that hiding in the algae is a bunch of um um 
Aptasia, uh, so everywhere, right? Guess what? Now I got to add to my ecosystem, get some peppermint shrimp, and get the Aptasia to start going away. Like, I feel like you have to attack these as an ecosystem and just try to get that ecosystem itself in balance. That's what matters. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with you. I, I just, um, I have a, an off and on battle with the Aptasia. It depends on the tank. You know, I, I had... Um, I had some peppermints in my display tank, the 187 gallon display tank, and they, they did a pretty good job of keeping the Aptasia like in check. You know, I didn't really um, see any Aptasia. Then all of a sudden they started popping up in the frag tank. Like, oh man, all right, so I gotta put a whole, I gotta dump a whole bunch of peppermints into the uh, into the frag tank. And so now, uh, you know, now they're going at it there. Now all of a sudden I notice another Aptasia in the, uh, the display tank. I'm like, oh Jesus, like a never ending cycle. Of course I've got like a Aptasia farm in my overflow boxes. I mean, then, you know, that's, Right, crazy what those things will. Uh, I mean, how, how they withstand all that stuff. So you know, you know, doing that, and I got the the um, the uh, the zap, the Aptasia zapping uh, stuff, so you could target yeah. them that way. But it, it's always something, right? Absolutely. But you know, that's what keeps this hobby fun, though. Like, if I wasn't chasing problems, I don't know what I'd be doing. Right. You always got to think about something, right? Got to. You always got to strategize. Well, and so that's what I find fun about the hobby. Maybe, I mean, I make my videos and maybe I sing, I sing negative sometimes because I'm like telling people what the problem is and I'll tell people what all the good stuff is. But like, I'm always focused on the problem and trying to find that solution. Like I'll never get to the point where everything's perfect. Yeah, I can't. And if I do, I'll probably be like done with reaping. Well, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too easy. Yeah, so Algae Warrior mentions um, I don't know how to pronounce these the uh, the the Bergia, um, uh, Nudibranchs. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Than from Tidal Gardens just did a uh, video about those to to fight Aptasia. Have you ever tried those? I've never tried them. I mean, I'm almost kind of afraid since they look like the uh, I haven't Monty eating nudies. Right, I've never tried them. I've heard great success. Um, I don't see a lot of downsides to them from what I'm hearing. Other than the big thing is, is they tend to disappear in people's tanks. I've got two wrasses, a Christmas wrass and a yellow chorus wrass. I'd be real surprised if they'd last too long upstairs in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where peppermint shrimp, if I order like half a dozen or a dozen, it usually solves the problem. Now, apparently, if you order the wrong peppermint yep. shrimp, then they uh, there's some types that might not be the actual Aptasia eating peppermint shrimp. I've I've heard that too, and maybe I've just been lucky, but I order bigger. I'll I'll put more in at a time. I won't just put yeah. one in. I'll put you know like a dozen in, and then there's food competition, and I think that makes a difference, right? I mean, if you go to a buffet and you can have anything there, like you're just gonna pick your favorite foods and eat that. Well, you put twelve people on the same buffet, like more food's gonna get eaten. Yeah. They're going to have different tastes. Plus, I mean, you got more to feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Um, so let, let's get back to some of the other uh, key things with your tank. And, and thank you so much. I cannot pronounce this uh, name for the Super Chat, but uh, oh, Na yes. Harshal Shirky. Maybe that's uh, close. But thank you so much for the, uh, for the Super Chat. 
So Scott, what do you uh, what what are your key parameters typically at in terms of you know I know you have zeroed out nitrates and phosphates, but what do you like to keep those nitrates and phosphates out? What are you what are your like uh, you know magnesium, you know alkalinity and and calcium? What's typical for your tank? So really on the um, on the old school um, salifert test kits for nitrates and phosphates, I was always just kind of shooting for being able to see it, right? Yeah. If you put it in and you're getting a little bit of pink, you're good to go, right? That was always pretty much where I was shooting for. Calcium, I like to be in that 450 range. I think right now I'm around five. Um, Alk, I'm trying to be in that eight to 10 range. Last I checked, I think I was right around 10 to little higher than I normally am, but since that's just where the tanks stand, I'm not really adjusting anything because I'm not out of ranges, stuff like that. And, um, you know, those are the biggest things I test for. Are you a, um, so do you have a, an automatic, uh, automatic, um, you know, alkalinity monitor? controller do you, are you a gadget guy no and i would i would love one of those i think those are going to be game changing as we really start getting the chance to look at the data set coming off of our tanks and make adjustments and we start using them as controllers i think that'll be game changing for sps tanks do you have a uh, controller on the tank i don't really so you're run, running it uh, without a controller everything's controller free basically um it's very old school in the way i do it um nothing really against controllers it's just you know i set it up without it and then it's gotten pretty old since um i've set it set it all up initially and it's something i'd like to add eventually but you know it's not in the budget at this exact moment yeah i mean i don't do a lot of controlling with my controller you know i have the ghl pro flux it's a great controller um, I do it more for the, um, you know, just to keep tabs in terms of something that is getting out of whack. So it's more of like a, an alarm for me. And, and, um, I've gone back and forth in terms of actually using it to control certain things, but I don't like to get too in the weeds on that stuff because I just think it, it opens you up for more things that could go wrong. Yeah, I know. And then you hear stories of, well-known people crashing their tanks because of controller failures and it makes you wonder but the reality is is every technology we put on our tank has the opportunity to fail and then what you have to decide is is okay to put everything into a single point of failure which your controller is that's where it gets really hard to want to just give all your trust to one device yeah, i know i know i um i do have a hard time that's my that. hardest part yeah so I, I mentioned at the top of the show that you, you also do, um, you know, product reviews and, and things like that on your YouTube channel. What's, um, what have you, um, you know, done lately or what, what, do, you, what do you have that you, uh, you like or things that you wanted to, um, you know, to mention that you've reviewed and, and used? So most recently I did um, Max Specs Little Light. I can't remember the number on it right now, but it's their new little one they're throwing over um the nano tanks i've got the i've got that one it's the like the mj i could pull up the actual number but you know that's one thing i think that lighting companies could do better is just in their name like ecotech radeon it's just so memorable once you throw numbers after it i forget them pretty easy but um that little light was cool um one of my favorite ones i ever did was like the little flipper magnet yeah 
Um, that, that thing turned out to be great. I think I got that thing like seven, eight years ago. Oh, really? I'm still using it. Wow. Yeah, I'm still using it. It was great. I mean, those little, it's held up well. It's done well. Um, I got to, you know what? I, ha- I have one of those. I got to use it more often. I've only used it a couple of times and it's so different than your typical magnet, you know, because it's got that blade on it. And I just, I got to practice more with it. It is. I love it. I've gotten used to flipping it. It's like second nature now. Um, you know, the stuff that I have really liked reviewing are is the stuff that people have actually reached out to me and, and been like, try this out, see what you think about it, and if you like it, make a video. Like, there have been so many products people have like tried to push on me. It's like, no, I'm not interested at all. Yeah. But, I mean, then there's other stuff. Like, I've been really blown away by how cool the product has been. And that flipper magnet's one of them. It looked so gimmicky when they first told me about it. It's like, yeah, I'll try one, see what it's like. But, you know, it turned out that it actually flipped. It worked pretty good. The only downside I can say to the flipper is I think maybe they've changed the blades because it just doesn't do as good of a job cleaning the hard stuff off of the glass as it used to so i feel like they've done something with that blade design that's different because even if you put a brand new blade on it just doesn't scrape the way it used to right yeah yeah no i gotta uh, i gotta give that because i i use these uh i guess they're called magnivore magnets and what drives me bananas is the um the felt the dry side is always like oh yeah off and i'm like and you gotta buy like these maintenance packs that have you know, like three of the uh, the dry side maintenance pieces of felt and like five of the, uh, you know, the wet side rough um, stuff. So I'm, I'm like constantly buying these things just to have the, the, the dry side felt um, pads. And it's just wasting so much freaking money. But, I, you know, these old habits die hard for me. Well, and, I, and I've been there. I've been there with the... Um, paper towel up against the tank so you can run your magnet, right? You put the paper towel, you put your magnet on. and <laughs> So uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, what you've seen over year, over the years in, the, in terms of different products and stuff that you reviewed and you used, any anything stand out in terms of like being, besides the, uh, the magnets, just very innovative in your mind? You know, Every product has its own kind of innovation that comes to it. Like, I got to do the Kessel A360Xs. And while they may not seem so innovative in what they are, if you think about them now, it's just a small LED. For Kessel at the time, it was a huge jump. And that's what I really like to see are those kind of changes, right? Where a company takes a product that's really good and just takes it to that next level. Um, That's the kind of stuff I really like to see. But of course, the biggest innovations we've seen are in LED lights themselves. Like when I started this, T5s, metal halides, all day long, that's just what you bought. Now I'm the weird guy having T5s and metal halides on my tank. And those are the those are the huge innovations. Um, Hydrospace's purple um, non-sulfur bacteria, I think, is one of those that really could be game changing. Um, my personal experiences look great with it. And man, 
it just looks like it does everything Ken says it does, and the biology looks right behind it. So I think that's one that really could be just common in everybody's reef here in the future. How did how did you um, take the plunge in terms of dosing that bacteria? Did did um, you uh, just kind of see some success stories, or did um, you uh, talk to uh, Ken about it? Oh, I talked I talked to Ken about it. It was it was interesting because I was looking for um, tanks to film. Bigs Lagoon, one of our local stores. Um, mentioned to Ken that I was looking to film some stuff. Ken hit me up and, you know, I go to Ken's house and he tells me exactly how this bacteria works, what it does. And all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, this stuff's amazing. (laughs) And it's like 45 minutes from my house. Well, there you go. I mean, so Ken doesn't pay me. He doesn't do any of that. I support this product because I've seen the results and I like what he's doing. So where can you pick this product up? Can you pick it up online? It's available online. I know Algae Barn sells it. Um, um, It's available all over locally. Um, Most of our local stores have picked it up. So it should be pretty available to most people in the U.S. I think outside the U.S. might be a little harder, but... U.S. is pretty easy to get these days. Yeah, somebody in the chat earlier on the show was like um, saying that I should get uh, Dr. Tim on at some point to talk about all this bacteria dosing and, and what have you because it's just a topic that's really very interesting to me, but I have pretty much zero to little knowledge on um, you know using it. Well, and I think that's the fun part. I think most of us reefers are like that because – it's microscopic. We can't see it. We can't directly test for it. So I think we've all been kind of blind as to what our bio load looks like. And let's not forget, we just figured out coral eat bacteria. It's a major food source. Yeah. This is something we as reef keepers haven't really been target feeding our fish for years. They've been getting it, but not target fed. Yep. Um, so Scott, and and um, and looking at your channel, I noticed there were some kind of um, videos that caught my attention, and one of those videos was entitled "Why I Don't Buy Acropora." Can you explain uh, the uh, oh, what's yeah. behind that one? <laughs> so I did a live I did a live stream, and you know we all have our favorite coral that we like to keep, and you know. I love Acropora, don't get me wrong. But Acropora is maybe the most infuriating coral to actually keep if you want it to look anything like the picture or, you know, just stay alive. Um, It's a beautiful coral and in many cases is easy. But, you know, I've kept it when I was working wholesale. I would order it in. And, you know, you get these big, beautiful, amazing colonies from the wild. You put them in a tank and then they'll change colors on you. Well, that makes it hard to sell if it turns (laughs) to an undesirable color. Usually it changes brown, which is a really hard color to sell. And then it changes to another more desirable color. But that brownout's pretty common when you're importing acros. So that was always a strike against it when I was trying to 
sell it because really you want to get it in and out the door as fast as possible so you get to that end customer's tank as fast as possible, which is hard to do from the wholesale side of things. So, you know, that whole color change side is really cool, but it also makes it really hard for me to want to spend a ridiculous amount of money on a coral that um, changes color. And I mean, I don't want to spend ridiculous money for a coral based on its color when I think there's a high likelihood it's going to change. Right. I mean, my um, Walt Disney I got from Jake Adams, it was that nice, bright yellow Walt Disney you want. Well, in my tank, it's green. Oh, yeah. I don't focus on my acros like I should. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not worrying about the, the, the micronutrients as much as some people are and stuff like that. But in my tank, it turns green. For me, really, there's two types of tanks, and it's Acropora tanks kind of fitting in with everything, any other coral you want to put in. And then there's like every other kind of coral with a few acro involved. And that's really where I'm at. I keep like everything and then just a few acros. They're fun, but I really have a hard time investing too much money in a coral that is what Acropora is. It changes colors. It dies easy. If it wasn't just this just amazing coral that grew into these amazing shapes and had these colors, I'd probably hate it. But it is just so amazing that I want some of it, but I never actually buy it. It's always a trade or something like that. Now, do you have the same experience when you're bringing in like agriculture pieces that uh, are supposed to be a lot hardier and, and less prone to color changes? With Acropora, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Acropora loves to change. Just that shipping stress is usually enough to brown it out. So usually you'll get like a week of good color. It starts to brown out. Then it's going to change based on the coloration of the coral. Um, aquacultured stuff is a little better because it's used to that environment. But even then, aquaculture stuff likes to um, brown out in shipping. That's pretty common too. I'm sure a lot of people have ordered coral in their tanks. I've seen them kind of brown out and change colors. We see that. I mean, you see the same thing in the industry. So in another live stream, I think you're, uh, you, you talked about why you love wild, wild corals. I do. Why, uh, why, why wild corals? Okay, so wild corals, so my big addiction is with the big, fluffy LPS coral. Those are easily my favorites. So, like, my big bubbles, the acanthophilias, cinerinus, scolemias, big, fluffy LPS, your euphelias. Those are my favorite. Those are mainly brought in from the wild. But there is just so much difference in wild coral. And I got to... And, you know, maybe it's because I'm old, but when I would go to the store, you used to go in and you'd buy big colonies of coral, yeah. right? Like, I didn't go buy, like, a head of torch. I'd go buy, <laughs> a like, colony. a colony yeah. of torch. <laughs> like, that's just how I bought coral. Yeah. And, and you still get that with wild coral, which is the cool part, right? Like, I mean, even to this day, I go to the, I'll go to the wholesaler and I'll buy colonies of coral that's how i like to buy it i like a big acanthophilia i mean i like colonies i like the old school way of doing things that's kind of the direction that i like and then you know when you get an open coral like every coral is a little bit different so 
like bringing new coral in like I got to when I was um, doing the aquamatic stuff was amazing because every day is like Christmas. You're yeah. opening boxes and you're just pulling out a coral. And sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's like, oh, we paid how much for that? Oh, that's going to be a rough one. And other times you're like, yes, I want this so bad. And it's the most fun thing. Just And, you know, with the aquaculture stuff, it's great. It's good for the environment. It does so many good things. But, you know, basically all those corals are the same. Where you find the really weird and fun stuff is on the wild side. So what do you do in terms of um, pests? Do you do any quarantining? Do you just treat all the stuff that you bring into your tanks before you put them in your tanks? What's your um, procedure there? So I I would love to quarantine every coral that comes in, but I think for most of us, that's not practical. But I give it a good solid dip. So I've got a couple of different dips I'll use. Um, I'm not overly sensitive to which dip I use, but I'll give it a good dip, physical inspection. Most of the time, um, I'm going to take the frag plug off, put a new, glue a new frag plug to it. Um, if it's something I can chop the bottom off of, I will, you know, to get whatever's on the bottom of it cut off. I'm a big fan of any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, pests work their way into your tank and it can suck. I've got those um, photosynthetic flatworms in my tank. They got in, I don't know, five, six oh, years like ago. Area. There's no great way of, yeah, there's no great way of getting them out that I'm aware of that doesn't risk the health of my tank at this point. If I use a product, uh, one of the RX products to get it out, something like that, then I risk poisoning my tank like i mean i've just seen too many people show pictures of their fish laying on their side and it's not the medication it's the poisons released from the flatworms so i mean i do my best but they still work their way in yeah and then one of the weird pests that i never thought would be a pest are actually corals yes i mean <laughs> i have pest corals yes, in my me tank. too i've got these I've got these teal flatworms. I swear, like, the entire Earth will go extinct and they will be fine. <laughs> they do not go away. I, like, physically cut them off the rock. They survive. Um, I've got some teal mushrooms that do the same thing. In fact, I've nicknamed them the insidious bounce <laughs> just for that reason. They're, they look gorgeous. And they bounce. But they want to take over everything. If I was... I could probably sell these things for decent money to people, but I'd feel bad. <laughs> I've got some Montipora that are like invasive and, um, it's, yes, I've got those too. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's a good problem to have, right? I guess we shouldn't be complaining too much about invasive corals. The, the nice thing about the money is they're a little easier to get off the rock, but once they encrust, holy crap, they can. Yeah, suck. I know. Um, all right, Scott. So I want to be uh, I want to be uh, mindful of your your time, and um, but I have I got a, sure. I got some uh, I got some final rapid fire questions for you. So let me uh, let me let me start off here. First rapid fire question: What would your dream tank look like, or do you have it already? You know, honestly, I'm pretty close to what I want. 
money unlimited, I would like something big enough that, um, you know, kind of a center of the house display, you know, 10 foot by 10 foot, something pretty crazy that, you know, I'm a fish guy. That's what I want. But really for practical wealth, what I'll ever be able to achieve, what I have right now, I'm so happy with. And if you if you did uh, have to go with a um, a new tank, would you essentially make a transfer over, or would you just want to do a fresh start? Oh, I'd transfer over. I've got so much of my old stuff that I love. I could never, never do anything like that. Yeah, it is. It'd be so hard to restart new. I I mean, I have spent years collecting my favorite corals, and now like they all have these little stories behind them and a love behind them. There's certain ones I could get rid of, but I mean, if I was to go rebuy, I'd probably end up with something pretty close to what I got. I didn't ask you this question, but what do you think about starting a tank with dry rock? Is that something you would ever ever, ever try to do? Yes, I would. So I'm going to come down pretty close on the same side of things you're in. I've done dry rock. I've done live rock. I think the live rock actually has better early success. But if you're waiting years, there's no reason not to go dry rock. Um, If you're patient and all that, you can definitely get stuff to attach, get stuff to grow. But, you know, honestly, these are ecosystems. Life rock kind of has it baked in. But if you want to do live rock right, I kind of think we have to do it like we used to, where you set up a tank, you put your live rock in, and you let it just be live rock for six weeks. And that's a real hard one, I think, for people these days. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really um, have any corals in my tank for the first four months. I just uh, let it go. Right, and that's just, and that's how we used to do it. Like you'd come home, you'd set up your tank, you'd put your live rock in, and that was your tank for a long and live time. Live rock is so cool to look at because there's just so many things that all of a sudden appear. You know, after a week or two, and then another, another two oh, or yeah. three weeks later, it's like, wow, that's that's so cool. It's like, oh, there's a little feather duster, and and, and you know, just the coolest coralline algae and all that stuff. I was just, uh, you know, that last tank that I started, just remember how awesome that is. Yeah, that's where all my feather dusters came from. Is from my original live yeah, yeah. rock. They just keep going. All right. So that was kind of a long, uh, rapid fire uh, question for you. Here's some quicker ones. Uh, favorite softy. Favorite softy. It'll be toadstool leathers. Yeah, you got some kick-ass uh, toadstools in that tank. I used to have a um, an awesome toadstool or a, my clownfish hosted in it. it so fun. Oh, they're and great. I used to have like the. Uh, I didn't notice. Do you do you have any uh, yellow uh, Fiji uh, leathers? Do they even come out? Are those even available anymore? So they are available to everybody but the United States. and um, But you can get some pretty close um, Aussie Indo varieties, but I don't have them. They are really tough to keep. Oh, are they? Yeah, I used to have like the... Uh, yeah, they, they are notoriously yeah, tough. They were so beautiful. Um, favorite LPS? Oh, we got to go with the Canthophilia. Me coral. Love them. Just the most beautiful, amazing coral all the way around. Yeah, just, um, yeah, I, I agree. I've got one of those in my uh, SPS uh, dominant tank, and uh, I love it. It just, 
it doesn't need a lot of light. You know, it's kind of like sitting underneath a, uh, a ledge and it just doesn't get a ton of light, but it just still thrives. It's a very, very hardy coral, it seems like. Oh, it really is. It's great stuff. So, uh, all right, I probably shouldn't be asking you this question, given your answer about Acropora, but what, if you had to say, what would be your favorite SPS coral? Okay, so first, I want to say I don't hate Acros. <laughs> I love Acros. They're just not the ones I spend my yeah. own personal money yeah. on. When it comes to favorite Manipura, I got to I gotta go Manipura Setosa. Ah, they're nice. Setosa is just the coolest Manipura. You get the acro look. You get the insane colors. You get the kind of branchy but encrusting look. Monis are just the best. Like, acros are cool. You get an amazing look. But Monis, you can do all that just, like, easier. You know what's a... And they look great. You know, one of my favorites is the uh, the tub stiletto Montiporo. Oh that yeah, that thing grows like crazy in my tank. Yes. That's one of my invasive uh, species. <laughs> All right, and last rapid fire question: favorite fish? Oh, favorite fish? We got to be looking at probably a purple tang. I love purple Just tanks. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, not as big of a butthead as some people act like, though they can be. And, you know, price these days, very reasonable. Less than a yellow yeah, tang. Yeah, there you go. Like the $30 yellow tang is now the, uh, what's a $400 yellow tang or something crazy like that? Right. Yeah. Nuts. I'm so glad I have I bought my two uh, yellow tangs before uh, the white thing got uh, shut down. Oh, yeah. Crazy. All right, man. This was uh, yeah. I'm so this sick. was uh, this was a lot of fun, Scott. Any uh, any final thoughts for it the uh, for the live uh, stream for the folks out there watching? Any final thoughts? No, thank you guys for watching. Um, check out my channel, Mile High Reefers. Um, probably linked somewhere. And yeah, this is a lot of fun. I enjoy doing this. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, listen. Thanks again for taking the time, Scott. And um, love to have you back on at some point down the road to uh, get update on what's going on with you. So, yeah, that'll uh, that'll do it for the show. I want to give uh, my thanks again to Scott for, for being on the, the live stream today. And I also want to thank the, uh, the show's sponsor, Marine Depot, for being a supporter. And also, you know, so please keep them in mind when you're shopping for your reef tank. I also want to thank all you folks out there that have been watching and for the super chats. Thank you. Thank you for that. Really, really appreciate it. As I mentioned earlier, my next live stream is going to be a doozy. Um, it's going to be next Tuesday, June 22nd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. One of my guests had to, um, we had we had to kind of change up the time a little bit there in the day. So, um, but it's going to both be uh, Jake Adams from Reef Builders and Chris Meckley from ACI Aquaculture awesome. on together. I've had them on individually as guests. So, uh, gosh, uh, only knows where this show is going to go next week, but uh, should be a lot of fun. So please tune in. Until then, be safe um, out there, and we will see you next time. Later. All right. Thank you.